Hey, everybody. Welcome to the New Media Show. My name is Todd Cochran. We are back at it again. Of course, my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee, is with me. Rob, and if you want to do the honors and introduce our guest, that would be great. Yes, uh, it's great to be back to the, the New Media Show again, uh, Todd. And uh, we are um, honored to have with us uh, Mr. Tom Webster, who is a senior VP of um, strategy and marketing for Edison Research. And he's he's the man when it comes to podcast research and has been doing podcast research since I think Tom, you started in 2005. Is that right? Yeah. 2005. Yep. I, I think yep. I presented it at, uh, in Ontario, California. Remember yeah, I was there. I think both, uh, Todd and I were there for that. Yeah. So before we get into the, in, in too deep, we've got a huge amount of feedback from the last show. It, everyone seems to think that was our best show ever. I, I don't know if it was, but, <laughs> but that we've gotten at least like, I think I got five emails in a row, some people on YouTube, people on Facebook, best show ever. So I guess we right. struck a nerve. Um, so that's interesting considering what we were talking about. So um, yeah. I thought the Adam Curry interview was pretty good. I thought the show before that was pretty good, but <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can top it today. Tom, how are you? I'm good. That's not why I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> to make the last show look fantastic. Um, oh, you are. So okay. That so that that's, well, that's a pretty low bar, is, isn't it? Your greatest show. <laughs> right. So, so are you done uh, writing your newsletter articles that you've been, been writing? I got the impression that this one that you just posted, and this is the one I want to talk about. It was your yeah. last one for a while. Is that right? Oh no, no, no. I took last week off, uh, as we oh, Americans okay. celebrated throwing off the yoke of British oppression. Um, right. But no, I've, I'm, I'm, I've got eight in the can and I'm, I'm continuing to write. And I did this, uh, even though I think the week that I did this, uh, Nick Qua, who writes Hot Pod, and not necessarily in response to me, but to others, I think, uh, made some quip about everybody starting a pandemic newsletter. Um, and yeah, so I'm part of that. And I did it um, mostly as an accountability. I am... I've, one of the easiest things in the world to do is not write. Very good at not writing. And I started a newsletter so that I would have, you know, however many people subscribe to it, basically as the, you know, the impetus to write it. Every so that's right. it. Well, and I also have got, got the, the impression is that you're, you're kind of leading in the area of kind of podcast research and, and that would be an outlet for you to kind of uh, speculate and, and project, right, based on the, the research that you're seeing into the podcasting space and, and uh, you know, take that knowledge and apply it to what you're seeing in the market. And, and I mean, you, you've been around this medium pretty much as long as Todd and I have. And so you've seen a lot of this stuff as well that we've seen over the years. But, but, but the big thing that jumped out at me in your last article was really about your discussion about two things around best practices and also how this, this deal that was announced between Spotify and Omnicom, um, when, you know, I, I guess Omnicom approached them and this is something you've been involved in with all these, uh, pod fronts and, uh, trying to get brands and advertisers to put together long-term ad campaigns, but is to start, um, doing exactly that, um, coming in, the big brands coming in and buying, um, like, you know, huge amounts of podcast ads 
Um, and that's what this deal looks like. But what's interesting about this deal is that it comes with, um, you know, some, some efforts, or at least that's what, you know, I saw in your article about kind of best practices in uh, podcast advertising. And so I, I was hoping that you could kind of share with, with us kind of at a deeper level, those, you know, why you chose to raise this issue right now. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's almost, there's two things going on here. Uh, one that's very specific to this deal, I think. And the other is something that, uh, it, you know, I, I've written about probably in some way or another for 20 years. And that's, that's the notion of best practices um, mm -hmm. in general, which I, I've, I've never loved best practices. It's still other people's data at the end of the day. I think the right. best thing you can do is collect your own primary data about your own audience and serve that audience as well as you can. Um, but setting all of that aside, I think, you know, the fact that Omnicom has, has promised $20 million worth of advertising to Spotify kind of upfront, I mean, that's the goal of all of these upfronts. And, you know, television has done upfronts right. for, for decades, right? And mm -hmm. the fact that podcasting has gotten to a point where it can, where anybody can sell that much advertising on shows that don't even exist is a testament to, to how much this industry has really grown. In television, you, an advertiser will, you know, will buy a show in an upfront, maybe a brand new show, because the, the producer has a track record. There are known actors in, you know, there's something to build upon that already has mm -hmm. some track record of success. And, you know, podcasting can now say that to a certain extent, and that's kind of exciting. So do you think this deal came as a, as a fallout from Spotify's deal with, uh, you know, Mr. Joe Rogan, or do you think that it's a much bigger trend? I, I think it's probably the start. I, I think you're going to start to see, uh, advertising dollars shift around a little bit. And I think more of them are going to come to podcasting and, and for a while, you know, you, you both know podcasting revenues have grown, you know, steadily but not like like a rocket ship mm -hmm. uh, although the past couple of years have been pretty good um but you know right now we're in a climate where you've got you know millions of people watching netflix hulu and hbo and disney plus no commercial um you have a decline in an absolute decline in amfm radio because none of us are commuting and you have a situation where one of the biggest ad platforms in the in america and in the world and facebook become uh, absolute toxic so many advertisers so they've got to put money somewhere right. and i think podcasting is starting to see the the benefit of that because it's it's a bit of a safe harbor to actually get messages out you, you know um i don't want to hijack the conversation very far but i had talked to you know this you know talking about ads going to soundcloud i was talking to somebody yesterday and i do i have a free account with soundcloud and the person I was talking to has a paid account with SoundCloud and he was listening to a sound, a sound, SoundCloud exclusive, some show that was over there dedicated and he got bombarded with ads and he says, I'm paying. Why am I hearing ads against these podcasts when I'm a premium customer? I really didn't have an answer for that. So he says, I think they're advertising around everything. And I was so I was just a little bit taken aback that he was getting ads, even though he's already paying for a premium subscription. Does a premium subscription on SoundCloud guarantee you're not going to hear an ad or am I wrong on that? 
Uh, I don't know about SoundCloud. Um, I mean you know. Spotify. I'm sorry, Spotify. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I don't think so in the podcasts. I don't I don't think you're mm-hmm. going to be immune from advertising um, in in podcasts. I think that's that remains to be seen. Right? It's all kind of theoretical right now. I mean, the one thing that they have said is that uh, the advertising that Omnicom is buying is going to be on Spotify's you know owned and operated right. show. Right, their own original content, which, which uh, either eliminates or perhaps just delays the inevitable hue <laughs> and cry that's going to come from uh, other leading producers if if their content starts getting Spotify ads sold around it. And I don't know how that's all all going to work out, um, but for now, it's just original content. Rob but and yeah, I, I think yeah. you're going to get ads. Yeah, Rob and I talked right. about this at length, and if you hadn't listened to that show, it's basically Rob and I do 90 minutes. So if someone's listened to us on Spotify for 90 minutes, we've offset 90 minutes worth of music royalties. And if they put advertising in front of us, they've double dipped. So they've essentially probably eliminated 180 minutes worth of, you know, they've, they've eliminated money they have to spend and they made money. So I get, you know, the financial guy over there has got to be chomping at the bit, put advertising around stuff they don't own. But We'll see what happens there, but I don't want it to hijack yeah. the conversation more than that. It's, I don't think it's hijacked at all. I mean, it's all, no, it's you know, part of I, it. I yeah. wrote a couple, I wrote a couple of years ago when Spotify really had their first kind of big splash in podcasting that this is, you know, one of the major factors behind this is reducing the cost of goods sold. And, you know, right now, them playing music has a cost for them. The more people who listen to that music, the, the larger those checks are that they write. Uh, putting spoken word content on there that does not have royalties and licenses and things like that, that's cheaper goods to sell. And, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to listen to Spotify for 10 hours, the more of that 10 hours, they don't have to pay royalties for the more profit they're going to make. That's just common sense. Should they be paying us royalties? Well, (laughs) that's an interesting question. Um, I would say at the moment, uh, no. Um, and I think everything's about the terms of service, right? If they yeah. put out a terms of service that says you can put your content on Spotify, uh, we are going to replace every other word in your mouth with tied. <laughs> uh, you can put anything in a terms of service. If you sign it, yeah. you, you signed up. That's so, right. We'll right. see. Well, and I got an email from a listener to our last week's show, not to add on another layer to this, but. There's some fear that's brewing in some podcasters that uh, what's happening here in the shift and the focus around advertising, especially on the big platforms, um, and 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 how these big platforms are going to be probably expecting from the hosts um, ad-free versions of the show uh, that somehow this is going to put the donation models at risk as well. Um, and, and that there's going to be less opportunities for shows to do like what Adam Curry does, right. Um, to create, um, uh, audiences that support the show directly, um, that, that as more people shift to listening to on Spotify and these other platforms, that there's less opportunity for those shows to monetize in a non advertising way. So yeah, there's all sorts of issues around this and that's why we wanted to have you on Tom. <laughs> As I've always said, be careful what you wish for. Right. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting kind of inflection point right now um, with, you know, the streaming platforms really starting to, not starting to, uh, you know, 
really encroaching into kind of the, the share podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Spotify is certainly there. I think, um, you know, Sirius XM has put together a very interesting, mm-hmm. um, right. and, and, yeah. and fascinating. You have Spotify that's really chosen to completely vertically integrate, right? They brought everything in under the Spotify umbrella, uh, whereas Sirius XM has, you know, demonstrated competency in a premium radio service. Uh, they've got SoundCloud for creators and the young end. They've got Pandora for the more lean back listener. Uh, and, and now, of course, they're, they've put together, uh, you know, Stitcher mid-roll and, and, you know, they've got quite a toolkit there uh, of individual brands that can, that can really run the gamut. So I think that's, uh, and it's funny, you know, a- Apple sort of had a wide lane to operate a very long period of time. And Spotify and, and SiriusXM have, have, are going to cut into that wide lane pretty substantially. Yeah, I mean, if you think about that that Sirius XM deal and the scope of that, I mean, there's Simplecast as part of that deal, and there's a little, still a little bit of a, uh, I mean, AdsWiz is part of it as well, but there's also yep. some relationship uh, aspects uh, with Triton and, and as well as with Omni to some degree. Less so, I think, with Omni, but but if you think about that, I don't know if you have any comments on that, Tom. But there's um, yeah, that's I, I don't think that's a pretty wide deal. Yeah, that's a pretty Triton's wide, wide ranging deal. There's no question. Yeah, I, um, I don't think Triton's part of that. I think it was. I don't Stitcher. think so directly, but there's some relationships there. Yeah, right. I, um, I guess I'll be careful here. I was, uh, I had some phone calls, and yeah. uh, interesting on that whole Sirius XM buy, and uh, I guess my. I think it's congratulations to Scripps for scoring such a big check. Yeah, I think the winner there was Scripps in a big, big way. So, um, right. you know, if that if there's team members over, they get a bonus for a deal. Man, I hope they got mm-hmm. a big one because <laughs> I, 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 I personally, I think Sirius XM overpaid, but that's just me. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see what happens. What they do with it. Yeah. Well, I will say this about the Scripps midroll deal. Um, you know, Scripps was, uh, you know, Stitcher Midroll was bought at X and it was sold for greater than X, right? Yeah. And, and all of right. that will will become clear. Um, but, you know, Stitcher, when it was bought, compared to what Stitcher Midroll is now, in terms of what they have added, audience and in reach, is an enormously different company. It is an enormously uh, larger in terms of reach. And, uh, you know, I, as you guys know, and we've talked a little bit, we run a uh, a quarterly service called the Podcast Consumer Tracker, and, and the rankings for that. Uh, the deal is with those that we don't publish them, but anybody who subscribes is allowed to publish their rank. And so I can share with you that uh, Stitcher Midroll has indeed published their rank a number of times, uh, and they are uh, they're number one in reach. Yeah, completely different thing from downloads, and I'm happy to go into that. But in terms of the percentage of uh, the weekly podcast listener that that company uh, reaches at least once a week with some of their content. Uh, they have they have built the number one reach platform by having just a a lot of really big shows, right. but also diverse shows. So it's right. a big deal. So just, and just so everyone's clear, that Tom's not talking about just on Stitcher because we know where Stitcher's market share is. We're talking about those shows are on Apple Podcasts, Google yeah, Podcasts, three hundred and fifty. Yeah, that, all that, the all the, the locations represent. Right, right, right. 
But at, the, but at that same point, Tom, then really, if you think about mid-roll, you know, they, they don't own a lot of shows. Well, Earwolf is a, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. internal, but mid-roll reps a lot of shows. So as long as those companies stay happy and the money keeps flowing, then mid-roll should be able to continue to, to hold the line there on, on reach. I guess that's the better words and probably revenue too. Yeah, no doubt. Um, look, they have a demonstrated competence to grow shows. They have a demonstrated competence in content acquisition um, and obviously in, in representing shows. They've signed some pretty smart partnerships. So, I mean, you know, they, they, they are uh, a formidable company in podcast uh, that I think because they don't publish on PodTrack often gets, uh, I won't say overlooked, but uh, I don't think people understand just how wide and without saying who, you know, I measure some of the shows that are being monetized over on mid-roll. I, you know, and there's some freaking massive shows over there. Massive. Huge. Massive. Sneaky big. Yeah. yeah sneaky and, big. Uh, pe- people and would be like, well, they would go, if they actually, if we could actually talk about the numbers, they'd go, what? You know, so that's why the PodTrack top 10 is really, it's not a top 10. It's their top 10. Yeah. And, and the other Tom- thing too. I think just I think this is good advice for anybody that wants to consider putting a network together and even and network doesn't have to be with a capital N it could just be here are some like-minded shows that maybe we can support each other um, mm-hmm. you know if if you have a show like the daily uh, for New York Times 100 people could download that every day course of a week and that's 500 downloads right yep. um, and uh, but there could be a couple shows on midroll uh let's say you know uh a conan o'brien show and uh and one of their big true crime shows and maybe 70 people download one in a week and 80 people download another in a week and that looks like 150 downloads um but it's reaching 150 like different people compared to the 100 different right daily reach right and so that's right. i think the clearest way i can explain the differences non what we track and what pod track is. non-duplicative audience You know, and we, we, you know, even in the early days when we built Tech Podcast and, you know, Tech Podcast is a network of like-minded people and we don't do a lot of collaboration now. It's just, you know, they're over there, they're over there. We do a little cross-promotion, but that's what we saw in the early days of that too, was that there was a little crossover. Even though they were like-minded tech shows, it was, you know, I would do a, a, you know, buy twice a week tech show and another guy would, but there was enough diversity in the content that. There, we had, you know, maybe 10%, 15% layover on some shows, but it was, it's amazing how much non-duplicative audience there is across the entire space. Right. You know, that's the thing that's really amazing is how much non-duplicative audience. And so from that standpoint, that's why it makes the space and these diversity of shows more valuable because that, that listener, 90% of those listeners are not hearing the same ad. Or hearing the ad twice, they're hearing it once in each show, but they're not hearing it in five different shows. Yeah, and you know the listening is still really spread out. I mean, you know, we've got uh, six thousand people. We're actually about to deliver eight thousand at the end of the month in our in our sample podcast track. And you know, there's no show in there. It's like four thousand mentions. <laughs> right. right? It, it is. It's all over the map. And I, I published the I think a couple of weeks ago in my newsletter that. Uh, that about half of podcast listeners listen to at least one completely independent show every week. So it's still 
very fragmented, very diverse. And, you know, are there a few hits? Yeah, obviously, Rogan is a hit, right? Um, right? But, you know, there's a really diverse, long tail uh, still. I'm, I've run a few surveys against not this audience, obviously, but uh, my tech show audience. And hmm. I asked them in that survey, of course, these are P1s that are, these are my biggest fans that are going to respond to the survey because I get eight, 9% uptick. Hmm. And I'll ask them, I just write out the shows that you listen to. And I you know, you list the four, five, or six. And I, say, and I say, I don't care if you've listened to it in a week or a month, but you know, list the ones that you actively mm -hmm. listen to. And I'm just, it, to me, I look at that list, I'm like, wow. Because it is it is so diverse. It's such a diverse amount of content. Um, it, it does surprise me a lot. Yeah, and we, you know, essentially we do the same thing on it. You know, at scale, much bigger scale, um, yeah. And we just, uh, you know, we closed the fielding on on the second quarter of the year, at the end of June, and we will spend the better part of July coding all this. You know, we have, uh, we have some AI kind of fuzzy matching tools that take care of a lot of it, but it's it is still a lot of humans with magnifying glasses <laughs> double checking <laughs> thousands and thousands of shows. Uh, and just a giant brute force effort to do this. And, you know, you're right. People are writing down six, eight, 12 different shows. They're all over the map. Yep. They're spelling them 20 different ways. <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah. yeah, good times. Well, and I do keep hearing the kind of old, um, old media model of uh, around kind of kind of scarcity of content. And what I'm saying here is, is that, um, very early on, it, it, as we all know, um, big, larger media companies thought of, um, content as something that was kind of exclusive and it was only for, you know, it's the most popular, um, shows are, are the ones that get all of the focus and the attention. And the same thing has happened in movies and music and things like that. But I, I do sense a growing desire to, to, um, I'm going to say stratify podcast content based on popularity and audience, right? Because I mean, if you look at a lot of the big platforms, they, they, they want scale. I mean, I think that the classic example of what we're talking about here is this Spotify deal, uh, with Joe Rogan, right? Um, many of these big platforms wanted to get a big, big deal with Joe Rogan because guess what? That's a large audience grab, right? Supposedly. Um, but I do worry and I do hear some rumblings at times of some of these big platforms, not really liking the fact that they have, you know, a, a you know, a million podcasts in their catalog. They would rather have, you know, uh, half of that or, or less or shows that are at a certain size. And, I try and uh, you know convince them about this concept of the um, the non duplicative audience, right? So if you don't have a complete catalog, um, then you're going to miss out or you're going to disappoint a certain amount of your customers and your users. But sometimes that's a hard message to to communicate to a media company that's used to only trying to go after the hits. So Tom, what's your thought about that? I mean, and from the standpoint of just this conversation that, that we had a lot just now about non-duplicative audience across large numbers of shows. Well, it's it's all metadata. I think right, um, right. It's all metadata, 
the end. And, and, you know, you think about, and I think I wrote something about this a long time ago, uh, what your Facebook ads looked like five or six years ago was just an utter sea of crap. One weird trick to lower your cholesterol and mortgage at the same time. (laughs) Um, You know, that's what your Facebook ads look like. They don't look like that more. In fact, I don't think a week goes by that I haven't bought something that Facebook has very slyly fed my brain. Um, and that just that experience and that metadata is just is catching up. Um, and you know, you look at the you know the big kind of performance marketing direct response agencies, you know the the uh, the ad results, the Oxford Roads, you know people like that. Um, they have a lot of metadata, and what looks to an advertiser like six thousand disparate podcasts uh, to people like ad results and and uh, Veritone One and guys like that, they've like, no, no, no. Actually, we can show, we can demonstrate performance in this category with these types of shows. They've got, you know, direct right. response doesn't lie. You know, you, we all know that it, that it works well. Um, but those tools are, uh, and I just touched on this very briefly in, in newsletter this week. They're still pretty black box. They're still behind closed doors, and they're not really exposed to buyers ways that facebook ad targeting is like that so all of that will come with with maturity i I know that it seems like there's an awful lot of shows but but it's it's a metadata it's a data problem more than it is a number of shows yeah but i mean these big big platforms want to really only work with the biggest shows right and and so you know and it's for a couple of reasons right it's easier it's easier to to sell those shows. I mean, I think your, your article that you had out was talking about this is that, you know, this whole concept of safety, right? Um, a, a, a show host that's known, well-known, uh, tends to get more, more favorability. Yeah. And I, I just heard a train whistle. Yeah. Rob's was got you? Rob's close to a train track. Um, you know, that I, I, I'll, I'll share this and, you know, you guys both work with, uh, with, large hosting platforms, large networks of shows. And, and I, I remember going to a, a radio conference. I think it was like the Nielsen, uh, Nielsen consultant fly-in thing. And there were a couple of, uh, as, you know, as you guys know, we do a bunch of political research as well. And so uh, a couple of the people on our political side got two of the top political consultants, one Democrat, one Republican, on stage with them talk about radio and how they use radio and it sort of blew me away this was several years ago one of the i I think it was the top uh democrat said it's really hard to buy radio we'd love to buy more of it but it's really hard to buy and that sort of blew everybody's mind in the audience they're like what are you talking about take a check right now and he said no no if i'm in if i am working for a gubernatorial candidate in michigan i want to buy michigan how do I do that in radio easily? There's no way to buy Michigan in radio easily. You have wow. to make it really easy. And he was right. I think that that blew a lot of people's minds in the audience. And I think the same thing is true of podcasting. These things are possible, but you have to make it easy for the advertiser because there are other right. platforms that are really easy to buy, safe to buy. And it's up to podcasting networks and, and people on the ad sales side of things to make it as easy as possible to buy. Right. And, and, and 
and safety is a big issue too, right? Um, around, you know, especially brands buying into shows. And, and w- one of the things I think that holds it back to some degree and these bigger platforms are trying to solve is how do we um, basically uh, vet these shows, right? So that confidence can be built with those advertisers. Um, and because if you take on it, let, let's say a brand comes in and spends $20 million, but that $20 million is spent against, you know, 10,000 shows. How can that yeah. brand know that every show in that 10,000 list is going to be safe for them? You know, that's something right. that we've had to address over the years and, uh, media buyers aren't ready to buy that with anymore in the early days they did you know um someone drops me a campaign for quarter million half a million dollars i i I can put five thousand shows on that buy no problem easy um and those shows have it because of the internal process that i've used over the years by listening to 100 shows every two weeks um i do that for a reason you know i've got a spreadsheet and i know what those shows do and what they're about and the content that's in them and we I might have to go in and refresh and do a quick, quick sample to make sure they're doing the, they're doing the same thing. But that's all had to been done by hand, you know, but media buyers are not, no way. Are they ready to buy 500 shows now? They just, they just won't do it. You know, they want, they, 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 yeah. I can tell them those shows are safe. Those shows are family safe. There's no cussing in them. Um, I can give them some parameters but they still want to go and sample them before they buy them because they still don't even trust me based upon what I've told them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just so much data locked away. Like I said, in at various uh, agencies about what works and what doesn't work. And, and, you know, here's the truth. I'm, I don't favor one model of revenue generation for podcasting over another because you need them all. That's, you know, more is more gooder. That's what uh, a stable, Mm -hmm mature, healthy platform looks like. And the truth is that I can put uh, a live post-read ad-lib ad on a hundred small shows, or I can buy a million impressions with uh, a pre-recorded State Farm ad on a few really big shows. And they're both going to work. They're going to work very right. different ways. Right. They're right. going to work right. in extremely different ways, but they're both going to work and they're both going to deliver uh, returns that you can compare against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's safer and easier to buy the pre-recorded, you know, big shows like that. Yep. Uh, and we just, you know, we need more data out there. We need more stories. We need more case studies uh, because ultimately podcasting needs both of those things and many other. Um, uh, people, you know, people safe. protect those stories. I've got stories, but I would not. Yeah. I, I, that, there was sweat and blood to get those stories out of the media buyers. Cause you know, number one, you run the campaign. So we made, we made, re, you know, we made the goal. We're going to renew, but okay. How did you really do? And then, and they're like, Oh no, 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 no. We're, we're happy. Let's yeah. renew. <laughs> and they don't want to talk about their performance how, because, how successful. because right. they do not want their competitors to know how successful that was so that their right. competitors aren't buying inventory meanwhile they say throw me another 50k (laughs) you know so you're like well so you can only infer a certain amount and release a certain amount because the buyers are actually the companies that had success they did they don't want to tell how much success they've had yeah Yeah. i mean we do a lot of brand lift studies um 
you know, especially for as it for as you might imagine, brand advertising. And uh, we get some of these great stories, you know, these great lifts and awareness and attention to purchase and things like that. And we would love to publish, them. and it's the same thing. No, no, yeah, we can't do that. Can we run this study again next year? Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, ultimately, I think, and I mentioned this, and and we can talk about this more if you want. But uh, in my newsletter this week about how the radio industry has, they have the Radio Advertising Bureau, the RAB. Uh, it is an advocate for the entire industry. It's a clearinghouse for all of these kinds of case studies and research. And uh, Erica Farber and her team at the RAB right. do a great job making radio an attractive and easy buy as a as a medium I think, right. for people. And there are a lot of great stories. Um, and th- we just don't have that. And we kind of need. It makes sense. It's almost like the advocacy group that compiles the information and they collectively put out information that is then, how should we say, um, D, you know, it's basically they can tell the stories without telling who the story was from almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And some of our clients have done, you know, they can put out stories about, you know, uh, significant sports themed, fast, casual restaurants. Uh, and you can fill in the blanks from that or whatever. Um, that stuff is all very doable. And I think it probably takes somebody whose job it is to go out, knock on doors and say, look, I'll do the work. I'll put that together for you. Let's get a clearinghouse together of, of all of this great data, of all of the direct response data, of all of, uh, you know, the Patreon data. Let's, let's, let's look at it all and get it all out there because, you know, right now, if you look at the share, you know, in our share of ears research, the share that podcasting has compared to the share that radio has, like podcasting is about one eleventh, one tenth even of the share of radio. It's not getting one tenth of radio's dollars. That's right. And this is why. Do you think too? Yeah. You know, and another thing too, this industry, and maybe it's because of our genesis, and maybe some of the genesis of the space has followed through on some of these companies, but we are a pretty secretive group. We don't like we don't like talking to too much that about much on this stuff. about right. the success stories. We go out and do the they do the upfronts and they say what well, we got coming, but boy, I tell you, it's so. Is it just because, like you say, we're missing this advisory board, the radio uh, podcast advisory board to collect that info? Is that yeah? You, well, as the industry, uh, as the space and the advertising space continues to mature. And you get more interest from Omnicom. You get more interest from Havas and Kara and you know, all of these other large agencies. Yeah, they're they're going to make you change. Um, they're going to make you change because, uh, you know, you can only profit from information inefficiency for so long, <laughs> right? That's that's arbitrage. Essentially, uh, at some point. You can no longer profit off of that as the market gets more and more efficient. And I apologize for the econ 101 no, that's fine. Uh, lesson here. But, I'm not an economist, so it's good. <laughs> but, you know, you've, you've, you've been secretive because you have been allowed to, and you have been able to profit from information inequality. That others don't have, say. right. Yeah. Um, but that's, that, will, that will change over time. And you, know, you look at how could you get away with that in online display advertising? Hell no, no. Um, but you know, right now the the another topic here. Um, 
you know, the kind of measurement specifications for the industry that are that are most widely accepted are sitting in an organization where that is the norm, right? Where, you know, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, that's where online display is bought and sold, and it's bought and sold with, with near-perfect information. So that secrecy will last as long as it can, uh, because, again, you can achieve profit from that, but don't get used to it. You know, I think too is you, you talk about money coming out of the space. There's a a huge and there's there's lots of stuff going on behind the scene because of the cookie and the life of the cookie. Mm-hmm. The cookie is about ready to you know not be allowed expire. to expire. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> cookie's about gone and people are in absolute freakout mode. So you know there's going to be some some change in that industry that's relied on that forever as well. Mm. So I. I see what you're saying. And the thing that I guess from my standpoint, it all has always, um, well, it's, it's irritating me probably since about the time the money moved into the big shows is what's insane is we have 95% of the inventory in the podcasting space today that is empty. There's no ads in it. Now that said, probably only about 30, 35% of that inventory probably would even be want to be monetized. But still, if we've got 35% of the global podcasting space that could be monetized that it isn't, you know, to me, this is sheer insanity that we aren't able to have filled this inventory. Now, you know, so people are trying to do it through programmatic and all this stuff, but, you know, I think wow. programmatic has still got issues and, you know, and podcasters are going to be maybe unwilling to take $6 for programmatic and, Maybe we can get 12 or 13 for programmatic. I don't know at some point, but it just seems crazy to me that we have this pile, millions and millions and millions of downloads, millions and millions of listening hours that are basically going to, you know, someone could be getting a check every month and it, it isn't happening. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that obviously has a, a big influence on demand and pricing and everything else. And, uh, if programmatic is just seen as low-cost scraps, then that's going to affect ad quality, but it doesn't have to be that. That's true. Well, and those those programmatic platforms um, that are that are doing podcast insertion of uh, of ads right now are scaling across thousands of shows. Um, so it is an example of ad buyers coming in and buying ads against large groups of podcasts. The problem is, is that those are typically, uh, the podcaster doesn't have a lot of control over what advertisers are in there. Um, they tend that tends to force the podcaster to have an overload of ad spots in their content. Um, but certainly there is an example that's going on, you know, a historic for Spreaker and Spreaker has a program that's any podcast can sign up for, whether they have 10 downloads or, a million downloads and get ads dynamically inserted in and the, and the podcaster doesn't have to do anything. So, I mean, th- there are examples in the podcasting space right now where th- that is going on. I think what we're talking about is the higher values uh, or the higher CPM ad buys um, that, that really bring in some revenue for, for, for the podcaster um, and, and not just pennies to the podcaster. But I, I did want to quickly mention too, as we were talking about, um, you know, white papers and getting case studies and things like that is that the podcast Academy, um, does have that in their charter though, though it's currently more focused on the content creation side. Um, 
but but I'm pushing the the, the podcast academy to <clears throat> move more towards having um, you know like subcommittees um, that can be working on <clears throat> these issues, right? So hmm. hopefully hopefully the podcast academy can be that um, that trade association, Tom, that you had mentioned in there that's comparable to the the RAB um, that that yeah that's that's done a terrific job. It's just unfortunate that the IEB can't kind of serve that role, and hmm. because they 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 have done a good job with the with the whole metric stuff. Yeah, it's um, and one thing just uh, <clears throat> I'm not a big unsolicited advice person, not um, but <laughs> right. I do hope the Podcast Academy, um, right, steps in and celebrates great execution of advertising as well. Um, right. And I know there's a lot in the charter to celebrate the creativity of podcasters. Uh, right. We're not going to have any. We're not going to have any Clio's or Con for podcasting anytime soon. But if we can hold a light up to the great executions, the the great sort of native advertising uh, programs right. that are out there that that have been successful, and just hold a light for the world to see, I think positive examples are going to be great. Yeah, I mean, and and Tom, I, I agree with you. There's probably no reason why that the podcast academy couldn't serve that role as well. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of you know, it's still early in the days for that organization, but it certainly can has the potential. And I, I think the board of governors has some level of desire to head down that path. Uh, I don't think it would be a real uh, huge undertaking for the organization to head down that path, but um, mm -hmm. I'm certainly pushing for it. Tom, yeah. um, what? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You mentioned the the Clios, and a lot of people probably don't know what that is. I, I think podcasting needs a Clios award, but or like a Clios type of man. Maybe they'll take that up on their, their mantra themselves at some point. But can you right. can you quickly explain what the Clios are to the audience? Yeah, they're just they're awards that celebrate creativity and excellence in advertising. And there, you right. know, there are so many great ads in in podcasting, and you know, uh, one of the I, I I mentioned I mentioned this in in my newsletter yesterday. Uh, I listened to uh, "To Live and Die in L.A.," which is this creepy stalkerish true crime thing hosted by Neil Strauss about the the, the disappearance of a young woman in in Los Angeles, and and uh, it, the show makes you feel very unsafe. And then Neil Strauss comes on and does a live read for "Simply Safe," and I, <laughs> I just and I I think I bought a hundred of. Them. I don't even know what it is. Um, because there was such a great tie-in between message, context, and execution and delivery, and it was perfect placement. Like you're darn right, I want to simply say, or I'm going to get murdered because this show has convinced me of that. Um, and like when you get that kind of magic together in a you know with context and message and execution, I think there's nothing better than podcast advertising, and I think the world needs to see more of that. Just like I think this company would be a great advertiser for this show. You know, not not that I'm been wanting them for ten years. <laughs> and for those, Todd, you, for why those, why would they now? You've already done the ad. And for those, that's right. For those of you that's listening, right. for those of you listening, I just held up a red ball, red uh, red ball can, and, and that I didn't get paid for. But and what's funny, Tom, is I do have Simply Safe here, and actually, that's what the security system for this studio is. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm glad to see yeah. you got your clock pick too. It's the right time. Yeah, I changed the time. I I went back there and pushed a couple buttons and got it right. Um, it happens when a power goes out. 
So I, I don't know. I think that um, there's a lot of work to be done. And that's the key is it's a lot of work. And it's really a lot of work. And, I, you know, I'm just worried that Rob is and his team at the Podcast Academy are going to need more resources because there's a lot of stuff that we should be doing that we're not. And to do that, that's, you know, those are full-time jobs. They are, they are full-time jobs. I mean, all of the things that make other media go, like the Media Research Council and, and the, you know, things like the RAB and the IAB, those are the things that make those media viable and, you know, uh, tenable platforms for advertisers to place their money in long-term. And those things do, in fact, require money, require full-time staff. So, uh, I, you know, I, I have yet to join the Podcast Academy. That's not out of, uh, out of any kind of statement. I'm just, I'm just hoping you two guys will vouch for me if I, if I put you both <laughs> as references. Um, but it's going to take a lot of individual checks and, right. you know, a lot of individual checks to, to make this a goer. The one thing I will say, uh, shout out to Michelle Cobb, who is going to really be the, I guess the, how would you, how would you describe her position there, Rob? She, well, she's the executive director of the, uh, of, of the organization. I'm just, you know, I'm a volunteer that comes in there and, and works with her providing some guidance, you know, based on my experience in the medium. And, uh, but you know, her and her small team there are, are, are currently part-time. So it, it yeah. the, they're not really full-time, but but they're, they're certainly doing a terrific job and they have a lot of experience in working with, you know, trade associations around the audio space. Um, they don't have a lot of experience in the podcasting space, but, but that's, that's where the board of governors comes in to, to help guide them on that. Yeah. But I think that they're I mean, doing I, a terrific job. I, I mean, I, I did a live, uh, webinar, um, last night. Um, and, it, and we had a lot of people show up asking a lot of great questions again. And, and it's very early days. And I'd like, you know, each one of you guys to just kind of share what your vision for what you think the, the, um, podcast Academy, uh, what role can it serve in the, in the medium going forward based on what you guys are seeing? I, I do want to clarify one thing before I make my comment and just so the audience understands this. So let's take the IAB model, right? Um, minimum membership level for a company to join the IEB is a $11,000. That's publicly, you can find right. that anywhere. Then there is a multiplier or a stepping based upon your revenue. So no matter what it costs, it's 11 grand to start. And then whatever your advertising revenue is, is basically pushes you or I, there's some formula pushes you into a different 18, 20, 40, $50,000, whatever it may be. Right. So 36 people signed off, 36 companies signed off on the IEB podcast measurement guidelines V2 spec. So that, that you do 36 times a minimum of $11,000. Right. And it's just using the base number. And if we divide that by your guys' current registration level and by 50 bucks, we're going to need 8,000 podcasters for you guys to get mm -hmm. enough revenue to match right. just the minimum of what the IEB has for the podcast measurement group. Now the IEB has a much bigger scope. Right. There's not just podcast companies. There's a lot. And some of these companies participate in different committees. So, right. but still that's, we have to think about the real money here that's going to be required to make this space go. And because the podcast Academy is a members organization, not right. a raw voice, Libsyn, Podbean, 
Buzzsprout mid-roll organization. Right. It is a members organization. Right. We're not going to succeed in building something. We, and, and again, I'll say this, and we, those of you that listen to the show for years have said half a million, million dollars is what we're going to need to have in an organization a year at a minimum to do what we need to do to get four or five people on staff, overhead, right. rental right. space, right. before we can even really tackle. And you're going to have volunteers, Rob. They're going to set up on committees. But if we're, we cannot kid ourselves that this, it, to make this work, we need cash. So that's why right. I'm just saying, some of you sent me an email, said, Todd, I don't know why I would buy the Podcast Academy. Or buy a membership in the podcast company. You guys don't have an agenda. Or, or and again, I'm just I'm I'm a member. I am not part of any of the executive board or nothing. Just so you know, I'm just a member, just like every podcaster. I'm buying into the podcast academy, knowing that they're going to figure it out, right? And they're going to do what the members want to do to to go after initiatives. And this is just this is just the start. But we have to get. It's 50 bucks. Come on. You, right. you, you, spend, you spend that much four trips to Starbucks when you were not in COVID or going through the drive-thru. Come on. So 50 bucks. And it, it, in my opinion, it shouldn't have been 50 bucks. It should have been 100. You shouldn't have you shouldn't gave the well, discount. Well, it's going to be in about, a, about okay. 60 days. All right. That's fine. So, so, right. so get in while you can. So it's, it's, well, it's 50 bucks because it should have been 100 to start with. But right. in my opinion. But we got, this thing's got to have money. And, 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 and volunteers that are willing to put the time in to help because we're going to have to invest time and blood to make mm -hmm. this, make this work. So right. that's my standing on the podcast again at this point. Well, all of the, yeah, just, just, just kind of fill in the blanks a little bit there. All of the, the governing board members are all contributing a chunk of money into the organization to fuel the startup of this. But, but you're right, Todd. It, it's a member-funded organization, right? And, so, yeah. And again, what you guys are, and I don't want to disclose anything I already know, but what you guys are, that doesn't get you down the road too far. No, it just gets us off the ground. Right. It, right. So. Yep. Agreed. Promote. This is what we're buying into. We're buying into something that will develop over time in the future. You've got Rob as chairman for two years. He's looking out for the indie podcasters. He's going to listen to what you have to say. There's a great team over there. Put your damn $50 in it. Go, go sign up. Right. That's what I say. And have your wife. And yeah. And I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll close the, the parentheses here. Finish my sentence on singing the praises of <laughs> Michelle Cobb. Um, I've worked with Michelle for six or seven years. Uh, she also runs the Audio Publishers Association as as the executive mm -hmm. director. Uh, she is exceptionally competent, and you know your your money is not going to be sent to uh, amateurs here. Um, Michelle knows what she's doing, knows how to build an organization that promotes the interests of a trade organization like that, uh, celebrates it, pushes it forward, and mm -hmm. you know the audio uh, audiobook industry has grown by double digits like the last eight years in a row extremely healthy as an industry and um and podcasting needs you know in in michelle you have someone uh even part-time dedicated to trying to replicate that your your 50 dollars and even your hundred dollars is in good hands and i think ultimately i guess my vision of the podcast academy is uh is to 
is to grow the medium, um, is to grow the medium, is to get people uh, who think that podcasts are just catch-up radio or something they don't need to see that there's, uh, that there's wonderful content in podcasting. Uh, it's to get people to only listen to a daily news podcast to realize that there's also podcasts out there about that weird little hobby they have they didn't even know about. Um, it's, it's to make podcasts a more important part of the lives of more Americans. And I think if that sounds like a tall order, uh, but a lot of it, I think, is just shining a light. So I, to me, I put a lot of the, a lot of what's, stake, what's at stake for the Podcast Academy, I think, is how it celebrates the medium and how mm -hmm. big it can play. You know, I know we don't have events or places or uh, passports anymore, uh, but you know, having having a way to kind of celebrate the the great work that podcasters are doing in a more public venue um, is is just really key to me. Mm -hmm. So, Tom, what's your thought about you know, kind of deeper areas that the academy can can jump into? Do you think it's a good idea that the academy get into you know best practices type of things and research and those kind of things, you know, work, working with, you know, like yourself. Um, yep. I mean, is that going to be helpful? Do you think to the industry for us to focus on that area? And that's kind of, you know, it's just a given that the awards and the, and the education side of it, it'll be taken care of as well. But what about the other side of the business side of what the, what, yeah. what this organization can tackle? Do you think? Well, I, I would be careful. Uh, how much you sort of bite off, I think. I mean, most most media okay. that that have uh, organizations like this, what you what the podcast academy is starting out doing, and then the business side of things are not housed in the same organization. They're housed in in different organizations, and that's not a rule. Okay. Uh, but the business side of things requires an even greater financial. Um, you know, not right. not that our company would not do what we can to help promote the industry that's been been so good to us uh but you know research costs money if i told you what the infinite dial costs you would be horrified um, right. but uh so i i think you know trying to take on a lot of that early uh, might might tax your resources but i i like i like the term academy and the one thing i can tell you and you, you see it in the you know in the classifieds in in mm -hmm. uh, james pridlin's newsletter and nick quaz and some of the others they're there's not enough uh, great production talent to go around. And it's really hard to do great, really hard to do great audio because it's a skill that has been, uh, I think it's been allowed to like get a little rusty. Like you look at commercial radio, 80% of the radio stations in America are, you know, they're playing music. And so mm -hmm. that, that muscle memory to produce great spoken word content, a lot of that has been in public, which is why they're, they're you know, at the start, a lot of great public media shows, a lot of people poached from public media to do other things. Uh, mm -hmm. But we just, we need a, a, a lot more kind of models for, you know, how to do it right. Uh, building talent, building skills, building the vision to create theater of time. I think a great podcast can really do or companionship or uh, that, that real, those real strong emotional connections that, that some of the best shows have. Uh, if the academy can provide resources for individual podcasters to learn those skills, then I think that's a noble mission. You know, you know, one thing that we learned is it took us a year 
to build the blueberry protein. It took us a year to find the right people with the right skill sets that could prove that they could do all the things that you said they could do, and I could scale it slowly for our customers. It, it took me a year to find the right mix of people to fill those roles. So you're, you're right. It's, it's, it, these people just are not born. They're grown. And uh, it, it takes time. So I think that any type of training that goes along with helping right. podcasters do, you know, we don't edit the show, but if you're going to do a high production show, theater of the mind, there's, you're going to be doing a lot of production work and you're going to be doing a lot of editing and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yep. So um, I think it's noble. And, and we have to also be careful. I think Rob is that you got to ha- focus it, that the, it helps the small guy and maybe the medium guy, the big guys already got it. They've, they've, they've got budget. They got people. We need to make sure we're taking, I don't know. My opinion is we need to make sure we're, that smaller group of people where, where a lot of this stuff is going to help benefit. But at least that's just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, go, yeah, Tom, go ahead. Well, you know, I think podcasting, you know, one of the things that I think hurt the radio industry very deep, um, you know, back in the sort of late nineties, early two thousands, when radio started to really show signs of being uh, some of the larger companies really kind of over leveraged, that's when you started to see that push towards automation and, you know, like the overnight shift went away and the, the people who would work from like midnight to six or whatever, that all became automated. But that was also the farm system. That was the AAA system for radio. And every, every great star in commercial broadcast radio uh, started like doing night nights in Sacramento or, or something like that. Right. Um, and they had that, ability to sort of move up and there was there was kind of a farm system and i think um the podcast academy can help build that farm system and i think the you're right that the big companies sort of have those resources but it's in their best interests to fund their farm system mm. as well because that talent has to come some from somewhere and it takes time that you, you saw it with blueberry pro thought it and it's you know it's taken time to build that part of our business at edison it, it doesn't happen overnight. And the more that the podcast Academy, I think do to increase the talent pool and the amount of talent in that pool, um, then that's going to keep this medium sustained. In, in the same instance though, that the service I offer, there's not cheap. This is, this no. is true production work. Right. So right. most, the average podcaster that is maybe not a business person that is just doing a show from his home probably is definitely not a candidate for that service just because of the cost. So I think that, so, you know, and yet some of these content creators want that same quality. So, and it's interesting that you said, Tom, the farm system, because I didn't think about that from what happened in radio with deregulation and everything that happened there in the nineties. And then you're right with those teams going, uh, those night shifts going away. So they just basically cut the head of the snake off and didn't have anything to feed as talent moved around. That's real interesting. Mm-hmm. And it, but, but yeah, Todd, you have to admit the, the vast majority of the podcast community doesn't exactly like to think of themselves as the uh, farm team for radio though. But it's no, you know no, no, I'm no, saying. that, that wasn't Tom's, no, that wasn't Tom's no, point. No, no. no. No, I realize that, but that concept, right? That yeah. Podcasters don't like to be thought of as kind of like 
a, a development pool for something else, right? What they like to think of themselves as as important in of themselves, right? Now, but and, and yeah, I mean, Todd, I think you know where I'm trying to right, say here. Right. It's not like because saying a farm system somehow diminishes their their perception of themselves, and, and I think that's there's a little sensitivity there. I no, think. I think what it is, Tom's Tom's point was, is that. Not everyone's going to start out to be a pro when it comes to production. Right. So if we have we have oh, yeah, if we side, have yeah, the, right. we have the training resources and the information to help these people develop Correct. these skills, then right. they are going to grow into right pro production people. Will get jobs and be right. you know. Okay. So you're talking about guys that are doing post production editing and things like that. I guess my thought was that farm league concept as applied to. Oh. Independent podcast. Oh, right. It, well, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I didn't intend it in that way. Yeah. Rob. I mean, I, I think, no, 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 I'm sure you didn't. I'm just saying that there's probably a, I, I can sense a little bit of a, um, there could be a little bit of a negative reaction to that from the podcast community. The, the, well, I, I, the, I'll just say this. Yeah. If you think, um, you know, so many podcasts are interview shows and, you know, if you think you don't have something to learn from Anna Sale, from Alex Bloomberg, from Ira right. Glass, that you must be a very special podcast uh, because I short and, you know, having access to those kinds mm -hmm. of resources to help everybody level up. Uh, it's yeah. not oh. that you're starting right. in any kind of negative position. It's just that I think we all want to get better. And well, no, I, it's I, hard I, to get. It's I, hard to acquire those skills. Yeah. I 100% agree with that, that there, that there are skills and education. I mean, if you really look at the podcasting medium going, going back, that's exactly what's happened. And that's what exactly what's built this medium is all of podcasters trying new things, um, getting better at things and people seeing, um, better productions and the, the whole industry is just scale based on, you know, sharing, but, but yeah, to, to have actual skills training and th that's what the Academy is really focused on trying to do. I mean, cause we, you know, when a new uh, member joins, we want to find out what their skill sets are, right? So we can put together programs to cater to elevate those skills and to grow the, 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 those skills. Um, so, no, I 100% I agree with what, what you're saying is that I think um, that especially new podcasts or new podcasters that are getting in the medium, there, there needs to be a place to go to learn how to do these things. And resources now. Granted, there, there's been a lot of consultants that have done a lot of webinars and free stuff and masterminds and all sorts of stuff for many, 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 many years. But it, but it'd be great to have it from a really legitimate source. And I think that that may be really what you're talking about here, Tom. Is that accurate? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Because okay. I think the Podcast Academy has the ability and the reach and the influence to really get the best of the best. Um, right. And and so people can feel secure about the information that they're getting, that it actually does represent uh, what the people who are really successful in this medium know and are right. able to pass on um, and take some of the risk out of it. I mean, some people who who sell those courses and things are completely legit. Some people are not. I don't, right. I don't have a dog in that fight. Um, but I know that if I were able to get, you know, my, uh, my good friend, Bill Schultz does podcast production. He produces some of the, some of the best podcasts out there. He used to do, uh, production for like WKTU in New York. I mean, he's, he's a brilliant producer. And I, like every time I hear 
uh, a, a, a badly produced podcast. I want I want them I want Bill Schultz to come over. I want Bill <laughs> to like show them like no no don't do that do this, and it, it would be like a simple little thing to tap into just his his genius. And there there are all kinds of people like that that are are really really good at their jobs, and they're not the kind of people that are going to go out there and sell a course. Um, but if you have the opportunity to spend 30 minutes with Bill Schultz, you do it. You know, and it's, it, I relate it back to my prior job, Rob. I was stuck one time on a, on an issue. I'm on the airplane and this, I mean, this electronic issue, it just absolutely kicked my ass for three days. And, um, I was working with some folks at, uh, Sandia National Labs and, uh, one of the guys came on the airplane, senior fellow at Sandia and he walks up and he said, well, Todd, what's going on? And I'm like, well, here's my issue, Brian. And he looks down at my schematic and he says, uh, have you got this certain type of part in your inventory? See, I got one. He says, well, put one right there. They'll fix it. And I'm like, huh? So I went and did what he said and yeah, instantly fixed my issue. And I'm like, how did you know that? And he says, well, da, 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 da. And it was just like, I knew. Then I knew, I knew how I'd screwed up and what was wrong with how this thing was wired, but it just took this guy that had 25 years of experience of looking at stuff to just say it was so obvious, but yet I didn't have a clue how to fix it. So I think when you find someone that has this type of just natural ability to be able to go in and say, tweak here, tweak here, tweak here, give examples to, to me, that's, and can explain it. You know, this guy was one of these guys is like a nuclear scientist. He was, he's brilliant, but he was able to break it down in a fifth grade level to me and to say, uh, right there's your issue, stupid. So without making me look stupid, but he was laughing internally that I didn't know what this was. So I think that's the key is to find those types of people that can take their knowledge and help us all get better. Well, and also, yeah, a big initiative that we're kicking off at the podcast Academy too, is a mentorship program. Um, and so every member that, that joins has the option to opt in to, to be a mentor or, or a mentee. So um, that is a little bit part of this as well, that uh, you could shadow somebody along your, your path um, and, and, and learn from that, that, that experience. So, you know, I think, you know, I, I agree 100% with what you guys are both saying here that that the education is uh, key to growing this industry. Tom, do you, do you think there's any concern that we should have uh, around the, the fact that uh, June had what 130,000 new podcasts? Um, it's all, you know, like I said before, I, I, I don't know about concern. I never get concerned about that. The market kind of sorts itself out. And right. uh, I've, I've never thought that podcasting has a discovery problem. I think your podcast has a discovery. Problem. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. That, that's the difference. Right. Yeah, and right, right. you know, yeah. for the, those 130,000 shows, most of them, you may, may come and go like a leaf on the wind. Um, yep. you know, and that's, that's fine. That's fine. Like, how is that any different from the self-published book? And there were a million self-published books in America last year. And yeah. I'm not, you know, I don't stay up at night worrying about those and don't stay up at night worrying about uh, all the podcasts we have. Either. It is interesting, though, and uh, we're, we're kind of watching what happens to these new entrants and 
for the majority of them, it's like you said, Tom, is kind of a leaf on the wind. But there'll be a few that'll stick and join the community and straight creating more content. And that's good. We grow, we grow faster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, not meant to be easy. You know, no. I mean, anybody can make a podcast, <laughs> uh, but it's hard to make a good one. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's, that's bound to happen. And, you know, and there's quality in between too, because some shows Rob and I get done, we're like, yeah, that wasn't such a good one. And then the next one's like, oh, that was a pretty good one. And I think we all run into that from time to time. And, uh, and even after doing this so long as I am, I learn something new all the time on the mic. And, but also bad, a lot of bad habits probably from all those years have crept into my, into my show. But, you know, I'm in a position now where it is what it is. I don't care, but there's a lot of people that really care about their, you know, where their show is going in production and what people think about their podcast and opinions and so forth. So Rob, I think you guys have a big job to do there in achieving your, your mantra. Well, and, and guys, realistically, do you think the podcast Academy can represent the indie side and the, and the big corporate side simultaneously? And I mean, is that, that even an achievable goal? Well, do you guys think training is good for everybody, no matter what? Right. Okay. You know, you know, if you can get some of those big names to come in and do, you know, some, some constructive training and some ideas on pacing and Mm -hmm. all that stuff, you know, sometimes it's the littlest things that people will say that will just make you go, Oh, wow. (laughs) Why haven't I been doing that? Right. I think also Rob, your board is good. Um, I mean, so much the, the success and failure of an organization like this, that initial board is so important. And I think that the, 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 the opening board here of, of advisors for the Podcast Academy is extraordinarily diverse, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is extraordinarily representative of uh, indie podcasting, not indie podcasting, big podcasting, whatever. Um, and that's, you know, to me, that's putting its money where its mouth. I've seen some other organizations uh, attempt to, to start. I look at the, the, the boards of those organizations and like, well, they don't have anybody from this whole side of the business. How's that going to work? Right. right. And so I, I, I'm, I am optimistic. Okay. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> so uh, Marty had a question that came to me email. She wants to know, and this is not 100% not related, but I wanted to get in there because she's watching sure. online. She says, be interesting if PM20 continues with the plan of publicly having the conference in Dallas. And Marty, I think right now their plan is to have the show, but you know, Dallas has got a, or Texas has got a big uptick right now. So I think we're going to, it's just hold on to the seat and see where it happens. I think we're still probably 50, 50 on that one. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be scared to travel though, if the, if it does go forward, but we'll see what happens. Have you heard anything, well, Rob? Well, what, one thing you're seeing Dan Franks and with podcast movement do is, is experiment around with a lot of virtual event technologies lately. Have you noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you can kind of see, you know, and that's, that's going on with, with all the conferences from PodFest, uh, you know, with their, their global summit that they're working on. Chris Kremitzos is shooting for trying to get, you know, a hundred thousand people at his a virtual conference. and. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I think that the industry is adapting, you know, it, 
it certainly has changed um, all three of ours lives dramatically. This, um, this not being able to, to go and do our thing at, uh, conferences around the country. But, uh, you know, if we can do it virtually, that's fine too. My financial officer said, wow, we're not spending much money on travel. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, if you think about it though, I appreciate what Chris is trying to do. Yeah. I've been at a dozen virtual conferences already and some of them well populated people's attention span just doesn't, they just don't hang. Have you done any, you know, what, what's your experience been, you know, Rob and you know, what, what both of you, what's your your experience been with virtual conferences? Do you think that they're, I I don't think they're as valuable as in person, obviously, because people just, Mm -hmm. they hang out for a couple hours then they, they leave or they at work or. Yeah. They're, um, I've done, a, I've done a few of them. You know, the thing is, like, we don't, we, we're, we don't have the attention span. And I think some of the virtual conferences, I think, are, 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 are making errors in the wrong side of things by how much content they're putting out there. Uh, I've seen some of them, like, double the amount of content. We've got a four-day virtual conference. We've got 300 videos. We've got, and, and the thing is, like, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to finish Shit's Creek. Um, so I'll watch a couple of them, but I also feel like as a, uh, you know, and all three of us do the same thing. We market our services at these events, right? That marketing channel is gone. Gone. Virtual events did not place. No, right. I do not do the virtual event as a, as a replacement, uh, marketing exercise for us. Because if you go, like I speak every year at content marketing, right? The biggest content marketing conference, the Cleveland convention center, um, no one is going. No one is going to that conference to see me. That's like I, I am not the draw there, right? Um, but you're there. You don't like the other sessions in that hour. You come check me out, and that's that's useful and, and that makes it work. But now you don't like that session. I'm going to go make a sandwich, right? Um, you know. So I, I I think they're they're pretty hard to do. I did one um, earlier this week. With uh, Rohit Bargava, uh, Bargava from Idea Press, who did a virtual book summit, and he got really smart people on. He did it in very concentrated bursts. He did it over one day, and um, you know, and that was kind of a lot of fun. I talked about audiobooks and stuff, and I think that was that was as close to a single track focused experience as you can get. Um, but yeah, like I, I, the the virtual event for us right now is just not a replacement. And we looked at, got the sponsor package from one and I was like, this is, it should have been one tenth of what it was because it's right. like, this is like in-person sponsorship packages. I'm like, I, I can't do that. And I, and I sent an email back and said, if you can guarantee me 200 new customers from your event, guarantee, which no one can do. I said, I'll, you know, that makes the value worth it to sponsor for me. And I said, I, I don't get 200 new customers when I go to your event in person. So how are you going to drive that virtually? So, yeah, it's. And I'll say this, the, the thing that has kind of made me sad in the recent past week or so, um, I've been focused on like, and I've been telling Larry Rosen, our president of Edison, talk about this stuff all the time. He keeps asking me, what's the first conference you think you're going to go to? And the, the one that I, I thought, a hundred percent I am going to get was Radio Days Europe, Lisbon, December. That's the first one that I thought, you know what? 
that I think I'm going to. And now Americans can't go to Lisbon. Americans can go to about 14 countries. I um, so now I don't know. I don't know. All right. And I talked to a, 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 a new show that's going to be launching in next May at the end of, I think it's, uh, is it May? Yeah. Um, called the, the podcast show. I don't know, Todd, is that the one you're talking about in, in London? No, in I don't know anything about 20, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a big show. I mean, they're shooting for trying to have over 3000 people at this. So it would be a show bigger than podcast movement, um, in, in uh, London in 2021. So, you know, I think that there's, it's just, it's all speculative right now. Right. I mean, are we going to be able to go? I don't know. You know, it depends on, you know, what happens with this virus thing? Well, I, here's my, we don't need to get on it, but this virus is not going anywhere. It's staying here. It's here to stay. And whatever we do to try to contain it, you, you can't contain it. So it's going to run its course for until we get a, then we get a vaccine. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's not, it, it just can't be contained. We, that's my opinion. We can slow it down, but you can't contain it. Uh, well, yeah. way to end the show on a high note. Todd. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, the, it's, it's been a hundred degrees here in Michigan and no rain for five days. And we're, you know, we're still doing cases. So it's, it's, it's not being killed by the sun. That's for sure. At least that's my observation. And I'm not even, I'm not, I know nothing. <laughs> I'm an armchair speculative doctor. <laughs> It means nothing. Oh, and I forgot to wear my mask, Rob. I had promised I, I would wear <laughs> yeah, my mask yeah, on the show. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You, We're, you protect know. you both. Um, and I failed to show the care for my fellow citizens that I intended. <laughs> I was going to say, so I apologize. are you exposed us all? Yes. Um, I apologize. On the, kind of on a last note, I want to ask you about, the, you know, you've been doing more and more research uh, on podcasting outside of the U.S. Um, I think you've done one in Australia. You've done one in Canada. I think there's one. Did you do one in Asia? I can't. I can't. We I did can't remember, uh, but, South Africa. Um, right. We did Germany, and we've done right. private work in other countries as well, like the big Infinite Dials. Right. Done five or six. So those all those markets tend to be a little bit different um, around the listenership side of podcasting. And I mean, what are you seeing with that? Is there something that jumps out of you at you that's Kind of, kind of unique that you can share with us about what's happening with podcasting outside of the U.S. Yeah, I mean, it's um, assuming that there is enough quality content in that country's native language. Like, let's let's set that aside. Um, right. Assuming there is the the biggest rate limiting factor podcast in any country is the availability of cheap wireless data, uh, and that's it's a hundred percent correlated and mm. there's no better example of that than you know we've been researching in canada for a while canada has lagged behind the u.s in adoption every year except for this year and previously uh the the wireless mobile data plans in canada are some of the uh have been some of the worst in the world in terms of um how much they cost relative to income oh, yeah. and how much you get uh, and how much data you get for that they're just atrocious. I, I think James Cridland did a, an analysis on them, and they were like third worst in the world, something like that, in terms of data. And uh, and that holds things back. And a, a number of the big telecoms in Canada last year uh, changed that and adopted better uh, unlimited plans 
And lo and behold, Canada is now tied with the U.S. in podcasting. Saw the same thing in Germany. Uh, there's a huge spoken word audio tradition in Germany. It's very healthy uh, radio industry and talk radio, business, sport, everything. Um, podcasting lags well behind. And a lot of that is due to just uh, how available public Wi-Fi is. And mm -hmm. what like free Wi-Fi is a much harder thing to get. Like everywhere you, you go, you'll see a Wi-Fi network you can get on. But getting on it involves like, uh, you know, using a coupon code to pay for an hour of time and, and all of this stuff. And when those things go away, like you see the numbers just kind of snap right up. So that's, uh, that's another thing I think that a, a, a well-funded podcast advocacy group could do is lobby uh, because that's absolutely a factor in the success or limited success of podcasting around the globe. Yeah, and it's also limited the the availability of um, you know advertising those kind of things too, uh, you know, around those countries in the podcasting medium as well. I mean, you start thinking about you know ex exponential growth of ad ad locations that could be offered. Uh, you know, I know up in Canada, there's companies that have been focused on that area for for many years now. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, if they can get more listeners and that's the key. And, and, you know, we're seeing more stuff happen in um, Asia here more, more than ever around podcasting and the expansion of podcasting into music streaming platforms outside of the U S is, I believe it's going to be saturated within the next uh, year to year and a half where podcasting will be on all, all the major um, music streaming platforms outside of the U S. Yeah, and we know that that's been one of the most significant drivers in the uh, in the reach growth of podcasting in the last couple right. of years. I mean, Spotify alone has had a lot to do with that. But just you know, more and more. I mean, you can you can you can logically say you can listen to a podcast anywhere, and anybody can listen to a podcast. But it, that's mm -hmm. a different thing from putting it on a platform where it's spotlighted and promoted and highlighted audience. That yeah, maybe that audience could have gone to your website and listened to your podcast, but until it got on Spotify's homepage. It, so right. that's, right. you have right. to, you have to. Well, um, any other topics, Rob, do you want to cover? No, I think we've covered, uh, enough. So go. So Tom, tell our audience how they can go find your, your newsletter or your article, um, stream that you're doing. Yeah. So I have a, a newsletter. You sign up. I send you an email every Friday with content that's almost as good as the content on this show. Uh, <laughs> and that's at tomwebster.substack.com. And the newsletter is called I Hear Things. Awesome. All right, everyone. Uh, it's been an interesting show. We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, we will not, yeah. uh, we'll be off for a couple of shows. Just to let you know that. Uh, so, uh, Rob and I are going to, we're definitely going to be off Wednesday. We'll let you know uh, whether or not next week's Saturday show is a go or not. Um, yeah. some, some dependencies there, so we'll let you know on that. But until then, I'm Todd at Blueberry.com, and my Twitter account is at Geek News if you want to reach out. Rob? And I'm on Twitter as well, at Rob Greenlee, and that's with two E's. And you can send me an email if you want. Uh, you can send it to RobG at Lipson.com. And Tom, is there any way, best way for folks to reach you besides the newsletter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. 
Twitter at Webby2001. Um, and, you know, you can drop me an email at uh, TomWebster at hey. Well, that's cool. Awesome. <laughs> All right, everyone, thanks for being here. Thanks for being on the show, Tom. Thanks for spending some time on your Saturday with us. We definitely appreciate your uh, opinion and input. And uh, everyone stay safe out there. We'll see you again here on the new media show. Everyone take care. Bye-bye. Okay.